Hello and welcome to the Researcher Podcast, your regular look at the research that's making waves in the scientific community and the people behind it. My name is Joe Fenton and I will be your host today. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Alison Hurd from the University of Calgary. Ali is the author of Getting a Grip on Sensiomotor Effects in Lexical Semantic Processing. Today we'll be finding out a bit more about both the paper and the person behind it. Ali, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into your paper, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic career so far? Sure. Uh, So I originated at the University of Victoria, which is in British Columbia, Canada. Uh, So I started there in 2008, um, and I actually wasn't originally interested in psychology whatsoever. Uh, So I started with a biological sciences degree and took my first psych course as an elective. After that, I pretty much became addicted to the subject, uh, switched my degree, went on to volunteer in several labs, uh, moved on to do my master's at the same university. And then in 2014, I chose to move to the University of Calgary for my PhD um, because I was interested in moving into kind of more neuroscience methods and they had a, a larger program that I could work through. And how have you found the differences between the two cities and universities? Uh, So British Columbia and Alberta are actually um, fairly different. I grew up in a very small town in British Columbia. So I was surrounded by ocean. um, And so most of my weekends were spent at the beach um, and outside. Moving to Alberta, all of a sudden it was negative 40 um, in the winter. So I was kind of bundled up and trying to kind of find those winter activities. But academically, um, the two are very focused on cognitive psychology, but the University of Calgary is just larger. um, So it kind of provided me some of those opportunities that might have been a bit more difficult at the University of Victoria. Okay, so let's move on to your paper. For those who might not be familiar with your expertise, and for those that may not have read your most recent article, could you provide us with a brief overview? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll take you a little bit further back than our paper, just because it's helpful to understand some of the theory. Uh, So essentially, the kind of the main theory we're based on in this paper is embodied cognition. And that's the idea that your sensory motor system is involved in your representation of meaning and language. Uh, So to put that in layman's terms, if I ask you to think about throwing a ball, your motor areas might activate in a similar way to which they would if you were actually throwing that ball. So they're participating in your representation of that meaning. Uh, So a line of research that we use to investigate this is called semantic richness effects. So this is simply how much information is associated with a word, and it's found to affect um, how quickly you process this word and how easily you process it. So the the semantic dimensions that are involved in this um, vary quite broadly. We use one called body-object interaction, which is just how easy it is for the human body to interact with a a word's reference, so a ball, for instance. Um, But this body-object interaction 
dimension is really coarse. So it's capturing motor information that's involved with your legs, for instance, when you kick a ball, uh, with your upper body when you pick up a ball, and all other types of motor information. So there's other semantic dimensions that can be more specific, so upper limb or lower limb, what have you. So we were actually trying to adjudicate between whether this coarse dimension called BLI or these more specific dimensions would do a better job of capturing this process of deriving meaning from language. When I read your paper, I found it extremely interesting when you talked about these limbs and their connections to our own cognitive processing abilities. And it's something that I had never even thought about before reading your paper. So with this in mind, what motivated you to look at this specific area in the first place? Well, so it's interesting that you say that you've never thought about it, um, because that's kind of why I became so fascinated with it. Uh, so honestly, our ability to use and generate language to convey meaning is something that all of us do. Uh, and we do it for the most part effortlessly. Uh, those of you listening to this are doing it right now, but it's so poorly understood. Our process in which we're able to do this, um, is just something that we still haven't grasped, but it's also what makes us very unique on this planet. So I kind of became hooked through this, this mystery. Mystery is a really nice way of putting it. And I guess the more that you uncover about this mystery, the more that we'll learn. So with this in mind, do you have any kind of hypothetical ideas about what we can really uncover through your specific research? Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, without putting any bounds on it, I think the more that we understand about how we're able to derive human or derive language as a human, uh, it's, I think it actually has the implications to inform artificial intelligence because the more that we try to mimic human understanding requires a better understanding of humans in the first place. Um, so a little bit less sci-fi and a little bit more academic is the idea that the more specific we get with our semantic dimensions, the more we're able to further advance our own understanding of the role of motor information in human cognition in general. So how did you come up with the central hypothesis for your piece? Uh, so for this paper, it's a, a bit more exploratory than some of our previous ones. Uh, so ultimately, we were really interested in just comparing whether there were uh, semantic dimensions or one semantic dimension that could capture motor information better or as well as body object interaction, which is the dimension that we currently use. So now obviously you've published your paper. And what kind of response have you received so far? Uh, so the paper is still fairly recent. Um, so we we haven't received too much feedback yet, but what we have received has actually been really positive. Um, I think because we're attempting to get more fine grained in the dimensions we use in this research, others in this area are, are pretty interested to see what we found and whether they can leverage it in their future research. So if you take cognitive psychology on a broader and wider scale, what do you believe are the biggest issues that your area faces at this moment in time? 
so I think one of the big issues, which we were actually attempting to address in this paper, is that we're starting to have a good understanding that motor and body information does affect language processing. But we're now in a place where we can start to be more specific about the types of bodily and motor information that are contributing to this, and also what context uh kind of modulate this process. So I think the big issue is starting to get more specific and use kind of tools and methodologies that allow us to answer this question in a more fine-grained way. Okay. So um, with your own methodology, you took a lot of undergraduates as a means to create your hypothesis. Did you come under any challenges at all when creating this single piece of research? Absolutely. Um, so yes, we definitely did uh, recruit a, a large group of undergraduates and we're very lucky in that our undergraduates um, are able to receive extra credit towards some of their courses for in for participating in these studies. So uh, not only does it give them a chance to learn a little bit more about the types of research that are done in psychology, but it gives us a really nice uh, pool of participants to pull from. Uh, but that being the case, because a lot of these stimuli and these ratings were collected online, we uh, had a lot of people who didn't complete the survey accurately or kind of didn't complete it at all. Um, and so there was quite a stringent process in ensuring that we were getting validated responses from our participants. But in addition to that, it's also sometimes really difficult when you're studying psycholinguistics and using words as stimuli, because you really want to make sure that you're controlling for other effects that could possibly confound your findings. Um, so that could be, for example, the length of the word or the frequency that the word is used in language. So you always want to make sure that your list kind of has a variety of those and is controlled for those effects, which can sometimes limit your your stimuli pool. Okay. So what um what current research areas or research projects are you currently considering or actually working on right now? Uh, so I'm very lucky in that I was actually um, able to participate in a research project where we got to travel to Chile. Uh, so we went there for six weeks and we were studying the effects of high altitude on cognition and language processing. Um, so we did this in conjunction with the Alma Observatory. So we actually went up to their uh, observatory, which is 5,050 meters. Um, and we were studying how the acclimatization process was affecting people's ability to process words. Um, so obviously, as you can can kind of tell that was a huge undertaking. Um, so we're still working on the the research analysis and getting that out. But the paper should actually be out probably next year. Um, so we're very much looking forward to getting that out there and kind of seeing what people think of it. So obviously this podcast looks at academia, academic papers, their impacts, their consequences. But we also want to speak to academics about their life as an academic. So I'm just going to ask you if there's been a certain academic group or an individual that has either impacted you on this piece or throughout your academic career so far. 
Sure. Um, so I'd say someone who's kind of impacted my academic career is Larry Barcelou, um, who's actually been really instrumental in developing a lot of the theories around embodied cognition, which is what our paper is kind of a derivative of, um, and also the role of the motor system in representing meaning. So it was actually a few of his papers that got me really fascinated in on the subject in the first place. Um, but I would also definitely have to say my current PhD supervisor, Penny Pexman. So she's been doing this research a lot longer than I have. Um, she kind of gave me the tools and training I needed to, to follow my dreams and do this. Um, but she also is just one of those people that really encourages you to grow and, and makes it seem effortless. So she's able to balance, you know, a family, an incredible career. And she's also a huge proponent of women in cognitive science. So she's actually the co-founder of the Canadian chapter for women in cognitive science. And so she's really been someone to look up to. Obviously, role models play a huge part in our learning and our development. And so with your own learning and development, have you got any goals or do you want to accomplish something specific in your academic career? Um, so the, the short term goal, obviously, is I'm working on finishing my dissertation. Uh, so I'll actually be be defending very late this year. So I'm really looking forward to, to kind of finalizing this. And, and this paper is actually one of the chapters of that dissertation. So it's a, it's a really nice step in that direction. Um, so as for my kind of longer term career goals, I'm actually thinking about pursuing a career in industry because I'm really passionate about knowledge translation and research application. So I'd really like to work on making research more accessible to the general public. So that's why I'm also really happy and honored that you invited me to speak today. And so for my last question, I'm going to ask you what your one piece of advice for anybody now starting their PhD. Uh, so I think I'd have to say, just be patient and kind to yourself. Um, you know, I was the type of person who entered into my PhD going a million miles an hour. I wanted to accomplish everything and I wanted to do it now. I wanted to get papers out really rapidly. But this type of work takes time, uh, especially to develop the necessary understanding of the theories, to develop your own personal research skills, and really just come into your own in whatever field you've chosen to go into. So just sometimes understand that it's going to take longer than you think, and, and that might actually be a really good thing. Amazing. And I'm sure loads of PhD students will definitely take this advice on board with them. Well, that's all we've got time for today. We've been joined by Alison Hurd from the University of Calgary, author of Getting a Grip on Sensiomotor Effects in Lexical Semantic Processing. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. You've been listening to The Researcher Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Alternatively, you can find us at www.research-app.com. Or if you fancy, you can drop me an email at joseph.fenton at researcherapp.com. Researcher is free to download on iOS, Android, or via your web browser.